My family's favorite times of the year, it's our mission celebration, where we bring out uh, a couple of our missionaries in the English service and the Spanish service and even on Wednesday night, and we get a quick update, a quick glimpse into what God is doing through our missionaries. Uh, here at Belmont, we support over 60 plus missionaries uh, on a regular basis with everything that God is doing in and through them, literally all over the world. And so uh, the way we support them is through your faith promise. And so this is what this is. We want you to, and the reason we're giving it to you now, is we want you to pray. We want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to give? Not all of us is called to go all over the world, but we are called to send people all over the world to make sure that the gospel is accessible to everybody. Sometimes it's even unfathomable to consider that there are still places on this earth where not only is the gospel illegal, not only is the gospel not given, but there are tons and tons of people who have literally never even heard the name of Jesus Christ because no one has gotten there to tell them about him. And so what faith promises do is we ensure that the gospel message goes across this world. And so here's how this works. You pray, you ask the Lord, God, what are you giving me to commit on a monthly basis to missions? And then you write that down, put it in the envelope. And somebody asked me, so how do you follow up with faith promises? I said, I don't. It's your promise before the Lord. That's between you and God. So if you commit to $40 a month and you don't give your $40 a month, this isn't Vegas. I'm not going to show up to your house and be like, that's a nice watch you got. How'd you pay for that? <laughs> this is between you and the Lord. We are committed to these missionaries whether you give your faith promise or not. Now, I'm just going to be transparent with you. This year, um, we haven't received enough faith promises to be able to meet our budget for our missionaries. Nonetheless, we still provide everything our missionaries need and give them what we've committed to them. It's just coming out of our operating funds as opposed to our faith promises. So I just want to encourage you, if you are giving, continue to give. Matter of fact, if you are giving, ask the Lord if maybe he's calling you to give more. And this is hard for a lot of us, and I know I'm taking some time on this, but this is so close to my family's heart because we have never been able to outgive God. Every time God has challenged us to be faithful and committed, not just in our tithes and our offerings, but in our missional giving, God has exceeded every single one of our expectations and provided even more for us. And the Bible tells us, God blesses you so that you may bless others. And so listen, this might mean one less latte a month. This might mean one less subscription. This might mean you finally figure out a way to cancel your gym membership. You haven't gone in seven years. There's no point in giving them $20 a month anymore. Give that to missions. But it means somebody gets to know about Jesus. And remember, when you give, you're not giving to the church. You are giving through the church. So what you give through the church impacts people all over the world. And we believe that God is going to do that as we are faithful to what God has called us to do. So again, it's, it's take this envelope with you, please. Prayfully consider it. If you're like, man, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and, and God told me zero. It's like, listen, that's you, that's you and God, I guess, all right? It's between you and the Lord. Uh, but I believe if we earnestly pray, not only will we meet our budget for our missionaries, but I believe God will give us room to take on more missionaries and to be able to do more work. So next week uh, in our English service, we have our missionaries to the UK. Uh, they are church planners in London. Some people would say, what do you mean missions to the UK? The UK is a first world country. Yes, I think it's even harder to tell people about Jesus in a first world country where they don't feel like they even need him versus a third world country who's also impoverished. And if you tell them Jesus will provide your needs, they go, yeah, sign me up. 
And I've done about five or six mission trips to the UK. It is not easy to go to a post-Christian nation and tell them about Jesus. And so we have the parks that'll be with us next Sunday morning. And then in the afternoon, if you want to stick around and uh, you know a little bit of Spanish or you want to get immersed, we have missionaries to Ecuador that'll be serving in our second service. And so we just want to encourage you to come on out. Uh, And then on Wednesday night, we have our missionary to Eurasia. So a lot of details with that. We'll get more into that as we move forward. Amen? Amen. So we've been in this series. The guys, I don't know if you have that graphic. They made a, I would hope to say a loving graphic or a mocking graphic. It depends on how you look at it. But we're in this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And um, that's legit me. Like I posed for that picture. And, uh, you know, so... We're in this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? If you know me, you know that I love Mr. Rogers. I got a, a little Mr. Rogers uh, pop uh, head little thing, little bobblehead thing in my office. And, um, you know, I just, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. I grew up with being his neighbor and, and learning how to be kind and loving. And I've always admired him as a person and as a TV personality. And so, you know, we kind of been in this series jumping off of what we've been talking about in Luke chapter 10, when a, a, a man of the of the law, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he throws a question at him. He says, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And we talked about it last week. The first part of how uh, Jesus responded or what he told him was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And we covered that each point last month. If you're interested in that, you can look it up online. And then now we're segueing into the second part of that commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, we talked about how it's not optional to love your neighbor. We are commanded to, we are called to love our neighbors. And this morning, I'd like to kind of segue a little bit more into that because as you read through that scriptures, the answer that the guy has to this is a little interesting. But before I get into that, can I give you guys a little bit of a confession? I got to be honest with you, transparent. A few weeks ago or months ago, uh, we were preaching in one of the sermons. And remember, I had the grocery bags. And I was talking about how I'm one of those people, and many of you in this room are too, we hate doing multiple trips from the car to the house after you do groceries, okay? It's facts, it is what it is, it's hubris, it's pride, it's stupid, but we do it. And so uh, a few days ago, last week, I came home from Costco. And, you know, a Costco run is different than all the other runs. You're talking about I had, like, enough stuff for 17 months. Like, I just packed it out. And I'm doing one trip, right? I got the biggest box they had at Costco, and I stacked everything on it, man. I had it piled up super heavy. I was the only one that was going to be able to carry this thing in at least 100 pounds, maybe 3,000. Who knows? So <laughs> I'm carrying this giant box. I can barely see over. I'm waddling. In my mind, trying to figure out, you know how you do the whole balancing to open the door. So I'm like navigating this whole thing. I'm going through my gangway, and I didn't realize that they had left the hose out, right? And I trip on the hose. Now, normally, you know, I am fleet of foot. Don't let the sides fool you. I don't go down easy. So normally, I'd have caught my balance, but because I'm carrying 5,000 pounds worth of groceries, um, it literally was like taking me down. So I like trip. And as I'm going down, I'm trying to figure out like, don't crush the groceries. Like, how do you, how do I break my fall without breaking my eggs? Like, I had no idea how I'm doing all this. And so I, it's the slowest fall I've ever had in my life. Like I, I had like dreams. I, I wrote out my thesis statement for life. Like, so I'm, I'm literally falling down and I go knee first into the sidewalk. 
And literally in my mind, I'm like, that's broken. Like, I am too old to go knee first into the sidewalk. I, this is, so I, I fall, I, and then it's just such a loud noise because all my groceries are there. So I fall, I fall on top of my groceries, I fall on my knee, I roll on my back, and I'm just laying there. And I, and I go to search for my phone to call my wife. I'm literally doing that help by falling and I can't get up situation. So I go to grab my phone. I'm like, just like, I'm like, please don't be broken. Please don't be broken. And it hurt, right? I'm like, I'm like, ah, like I am making tons of noise. Like it hurts. I look up and I hear somebody running down my gangway and it's my neighbors. And they're like, are you okay? Are you all right? And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. And, and the, the fence is locked, so the neighbor hops the fence. He's like, you I was like, I'm okay. I called my wife. It's fine. He's like, are you sure? It's like, he's like, I thought somebody fell from a ladder. I was like, no, I'm just fat. Like, I'm sorry. I make a lot of noise on the way down. I'm so sorry. And so I'm just, still just laying there and horribly embarrassed. My wife, like, she answers the phone. She's like, what's wrong? I was like, just come outside. And so she comes outside. And, and then the other neighbors show up. Because I don't know, in my neighborhood, I don't know if it's the same in your neighborhood, when any kind of accident happens, especially a car accident, Everybody comes out their house. I don't care what, it can be four in the morning. We're all like, yo, what happened? <laughs> like, you know, putting your shorts up, like, yeah. So, so the whole neighborhood's in my backyard. Like, are you okay? Are you all right? It's like, I think I'm fine. They're like, do you need to call an ambulance? And I'm like doing the knee check. It's like, I can move it. It's not broke. It's not broke. And I didn't break anything. Your boy's still strong. It, it held tight. Okay. The Lord is good. But I was embarrassed. My pride got hurt a little bit. But you know what? After all the embarrassment and all the stuff, and I got back up and I put all the groceries away, I go, man, even though they were a little bit drunk and it was like two in the afternoon, I'm so glad my neighbors showed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it, I just thought how nice of that. They heard something and easily could have ignored it. Easily could have been like, whoa, sounds like somebody got hurt. But they literally ran and hopped the fence to make sure I was okay. You know, I want to talk to you about just being a neighbor. How important it is to be a neighbor to people. And so if you're taking notes, let's go back to Luke chapter 10. I'm telling you, by the end of this month, y'all should have memorized these scriptures already. Luke chapter 10, let's look at verse 29 through 37. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, right? We already, he asked the question, he gets his answer. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God, right? And then he goes, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And the man wants to justify his actions. So he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? This is never a good answer to this, right? It's like if you confronted a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're like, are you cheating on me? And they said, define cheating. Already off to a bad foot. Like you just, you did it. So he said, hey, love your neighbor. So like... Define neighbor. That's literally what he's saying in this moment. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when they saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, culturally, let me give you some background so you fully understand what everybody else understood when Jesus is telling this story. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. This is one of the greater examples of racism we really see in the Bible. The Samaritans, many of which were what the Jews would consider mixed blood. They were part Jewish who had intermarried with people of Samaria, which was a big no-no throughout the Old Testament. And so not only were they not liked, they were despised. They were considered disgusting, even lower than Gentiles in many eyes. They did not like the Samaritans. So... When Jesus is telling this story, he, he kind of opens up pretty normally. Hey, you got a priest who comes by and he doesn't pay attention. And then you got a temple assistant or a Levite who comes by and he doesn't pay attention. He ignores him. Now, if you're hearing the story, you're thinking, surely the third person is going to be like a common Jew, right? A common Hebrew man to show us that you don't have to be a pastor or you don't have to work in the temple or the church to serve somebody. We are all called to serve somebody. But Jesus throws this major twist when he doesn't use a common Jew, he says, no, 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 a despised Samaritan. You know, those people you hate, those people that you don't like, those ones that you would never consider your neighbor, that's the one I'm going to tell you is going to be the real neighbor. See, because the Jewish people all throughout the Old Testament were always taught to love thy neighbor. All throughout scripture, you've many verses in the Old Testament, and we talked about it last week, it was considered this golden rule, so to speak, almost, right? It, it was this beautiful law, love thy neighbor. But over time, they kind of added their own amendment to it. Not scriptural, but cultural, which we can get into a whole nother series on that. And the amendment to it was, love thy neighbor, hate thy enemy. That was never scriptural. That was cultural that got added on to what they were taught scripturally, which is to love thy neighbor. And so when he asked this question, so who's my neighbor? He's trying to justify himself and saying, I love the people that I consider a neighbor. I just don't love everybody else who I consider an enemy. And if you're taking notes, I think it's important to understand a few things because if we're not careful, we make the same mistakes that this man made. So if you're taking notes, I think the first thing we need to understand is you can't choose your neighbors. You can't choose your neighbors. Even like when you're buying a house, like you might think you could choose your neighborhood and you could choose your particular kind of neighbors. But let me tell you something. Once you move in and somebody else buys a house next door, you don't got a choice over that. You can't be like, hey, I'm sorry, sir. You can't buy this house. I don't like you. <laughs> It just doesn't work like that, right? You can't choose your neighbor. You might have chosen where you sat, but you can't choose who sits next to you. You can't be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I know you're new to this church and we love everybody, but yeah, don't sit here, <laughs> right? Like we have to be careful in understanding that we don't have a choice on who our neighbor is. You don't get to choose that Mexico and Canada borders. They just do. Okay? You don't get to choose if your coworker is a Republican or a Democrat. You don't get to choose if the person next to you loves Jesus or hates Jesus. You don't get to choose that. 
And we have to let that sink into our minds and help us to understand that that is not our choice. And that oftentimes, God will give you neighbors that maybe you don't even like. Some neighbors that you might even hate. Listen, James chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones that slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as it is found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. See, James is addressing an issue that he was seeing in the church. He said, listen, you guys are real nice to people that you think got money, got status, got uh, something that you want to attain or that you find favorable. But when a poor person walks in, you ignore them. When someone who can't advance you in life enters in, you don't want to be their friend. You don't even want to associate with them. You don't even sit with them. He goes, you think you're loving your neighbor, but when you're choosing to not love some of them and then love others, you're breaking the whole law. You can't love some neighbors and then not love. You can't love your neighbor to the right and hate your neighbor to the left because both are your neighbors. And God has called us, as we talked about last week, to love our neighbor regardless. Now, again, that doesn't mean you're always going to like everything they do. That doesn't mean you're always going to get along. That doesn't mean you're even going to be the best of friends. But you don't get to choose whether or not they are your neighbor. God has made that decision already. And placing them in your life, they are your neighbor. And placing them in proximity to you, they are your neighbor. And so we have to be careful in showing favoritism. And, and, and choosing to like this person, not like that person. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we all do it. We make these judgment calls before we even get a chance to know somebody. And we decide whether we're going to like that person or not. We just look at it. We're like, well, we're not close in age and we're not the same skin color. We don't have the same history. We don't have the same background. You know, what are we going to have in common? We're not going to talk about anything. Like immediately we look at all these things that differentiate us and we forget that the blood of Christ unites all of us. Like the one thing we have in common is greater than the million things that we might have different. And if we can build on that commonality, maybe you'll find out there's other things that you also have in common that you didn't figure out until you got to know these people. You know, I, I love that our women's Bible study started last Friday. We had, I think, 92 women sign up for the Bible study this year, and uh, it's just been phenomenal. And uh, <laughs> we, we were putting the groups together, and we kind of like, we sat down and did some algorithm, basically, uh, and uh, we tried to calculate how do we make sure that there is enough of everything in each group? And so we try to break it up, particularly by age, to say, well, we'll every group will have like two 20-year-olds, two 30-year-olds, two 40-year-olds, two 50. Like we just, we try to make it as diverse as we possibly could. And I don't think most of the people even saw it when they walked in. Because once you get in that room and you start sharing with one another and you start opening up, you realize well, age really is just a number. Because your struggles are the same as my struggles and your experience might be different, but it's lending to my experience. And so now we're building something up. And so, yes, I didn't get to choose who was in my group, but now all of you are my neighbors. Yeah. 
And so now I'm building on these relationships, many of them that would have never started if Pastor Joey hadn't placed this in a group, which by the way, if you got an issue with your group, that's my fault. So don't get mad at anybody else. That's, that's me. But I think it's important for us to understand you don't get to choose who your neighbors are. And on that same vein, if you're taking notes, you can't choose for other neighbors. So if you can't choose your neighbors, part of what I was thinking about this was as you follow the story of the Good Samaritan, this Samaritan, as he's walking down the road, he didn't get to decide what background this injured man was going to be. You know, he didn't come up and say, oh, that's a Jew, can't help him. Or up, that's a a Greek. Or up, that's an Israel. No, he just said, here is a person in need. I have an opportunity to help him. That's my neighbor. I'm going to do it. And in that same line of thinking, you can't choose what other neighbors get to do or choose to do. So the Samaritan, he could have come across and thought to himself, well, he's not from my people. I'm going to let his people help him, and I'm going to help my people. I remember one time uh, when, when I was the youth pastor and we were really pushing Speed the Light, which is what our youth do when it comes to giving to missions. And uh, we're, we're doing this campaign and they've raised, uh, oh, I don't know, I think over $60,000 in the last five years for missions. And, um, you know, we were pushing towards that. And, and I remember I was asking uh, one of the people, I go, hey, I noticed you haven't given. And this is one of our people that was really helping out. And their answer was, we got too many problems here for me to give somebody over there. And I go, well, can we do both? (laughs) Like, did you have to pick between one or the other? And that's the problem is is when you think, well, no, I got to feed mines first. I got to take care of my people first. Then you are forgetting who my people are because my people are God's people. And so God's people are not divided by a nation. They're not divided by a border. They're not divided by a color. My people are God's people. And so that makes all peoples my peoples. And that means I want to try to serve and help other people. But I can't help it if other neighbors choose to be hateful. I can't be like, well, I'm not going to do it because so-and-so is not going to do it. No, no, you got to worry about the kind of neighbor you are. Right? Like when my kids come and, and they will get to that age, they're starting to get to that age. But I remember doing it myself when I would go to my parents and be like, well, so-and-so's parents don't make them do that. What do your parents always say? I ain't so-and-so's parents. <laughs> I don't care what so-and-so's parents do. I'm your parent. And your parents said, do this. <laughs> Right? You ever try to pull that with mom and dad and say, well, how come? Mm-mm, I don't care. That's a quick way to get hit, by the way. That's a cocotazo in the making. When you try to pull the how come them? <laughs> and I think sometimes we do that, right? When God is calling us to be a neighbor, and we go, well, well how, how come the church don't do it? Look, why are you worried about the, you are the church. Well, uh, how come this person, and how come that person, and why don't these people, and why don't those people? When God is clearly talking to you. This is one of my favorite verses because I love, I love when Jesus is just like, shut up, right? John chapter 21. Jesus just reinstates paid, uh, Peter after Peter denying him three times and running away. Jesus lovingly and caringly reinstates him back into his position as an apostle, as a disciple. And in verse 20, listen, Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, which was John, which I think, again, is ironic considering John's writing this. So John's kind of telling on Peter right now. He's like, he tried to get me in trouble with God, but I ain't having none of that. Peter turned around and saw behind the disciple Jesus loved, the one who he had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, will we betray, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, bad question, what about him, Lord? 
Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. That is, if that ain't mommy sass right there, Jesus hit him with the, and what? If I want, what about it? You God? You get to make, you pay the bills here? Like, Jesus literally hit him with that. Oh, I'm sorry, you, you died for everybody's sins? You, you get to call the shots now? If I want him to live forever, that has nothing to do with you. You be the neighbor I called you to be. Well, what about this person? What about that? What about these issues? What about, I don't know about all that stuff. I know about me. Well, the church down the street, I ain't, I ain't in the church down the street. This is my church. I'm worried about y'all. Okay, if the church down the street wants to do what they want to do and you like that, you can go to the church down the street. But right here, I'm going to call you out for what God has called us to do. And so when we submit to that, we got to understand, if we're going to be here, we're going to love our neighbors. All right, you got an issue with your neighbor? You deal with it. You figure it out. You navigate through life. You get better. You move on. But we are going to love our neighbor. Not because Pastor Joey mandates it, but because God's word mandates it. And we want to be followers of God's word. So you can't choose who your neighbors are and you can't choose what other neighbors are going to do. But you can choose what kind of neighbor you're going to be. That is the thing you have within your power. You have the choice and the decision on what kind of neighbor you're going to be. Every day, you're deciding that. Every day, you decide what kind of neighbor you're going to be. Uh, last week, man, we were so blessed uh, after church. Our, our men got together uh, for a barbecue down the street, and I think we had like 70-plus guys in there. We ran out of food. That's just how many dudes we had. We ran out of all the food. And yeah, who cares if the Bears lost? It was a good time. Got together. Um, but, you know, that space was opened up by one of our brothers in the church, Leroy. And uh, Leroy, who owns a barbershop, who's our literal neighbor on this block, we would get in these shipments. We have a partnership with the nonprofit that would often give us some free things. We don't really get to pick it. It's just randomly what we get sometimes. And a lot of times it's stuff that like other places donate to them. So it's like Costco donations and things like that. And so we were getting things that I'm like, we're not going to use any of this stuff. And so I hit up Leroy. I go, hey, I know you got this new spot. I got some outdoor lights. Do you want some outdoor lights? I got an outdoor ceiling fan. Do you want this outdoor ceiling fan? I got this like really nice outdoor patio furniture. Do you want it? Now, some of you are sitting here like, Pastor, you could have called me up. You know, I would have, well, you're not the church's neighbor right now, right? I'm trying to look out for my neighbor. And so I just called, I just remember I walked over to the barbershop with like $500 worth of lights. I'm like, you want these? And he's like, are you kidding? I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. And I, I jokingly, I said, hey, listen, I'll keep giving you free stuff if one day you let us use the outdoor patio thing. And he goes, I was going to do that anyways. I go, I know, I feel better, though, now that we kind of did an exchange. <laughs> but what is that? That's my neighbor. Right? That, that's what it means. And that he's overly blessed, not because of what he has, but to see all the men in our church enjoying what God has given to him. Like, that's what it means to be a neighbor to one another. To choose. I could have maybe sold it and, you know, brought in some money. I don't know if that's even legal with our nonprofit status. Like, you know, I could have called people up and had people come out and pick it off. But God had opened a door for us to love our neighbor, to try to build relationships with that. And then, again, God blessed us in return. That's, that's how this all works, is you, you choose to be the kind of neighbor, even if your neighbor's bad, even if your neighbor's not loving and not caring and not considerate and not of your affiliation, you still get to choose to be their neighbor. Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 13 through 15. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. You have freedom. What are you gonna do with the freedom God has given you? You have freedom to love people. You have freedom to go out of your way and hop over a fence if your neighbor's hurt in the backyard carrying too many groceries. You have freedom to check on your elderly neighbor. Now as the seasons start to change and it gets cold, to knock on a door and say, Mr. So-and-so, are you okay? Do you need anything? When you hear that your neighbor's sick and you know, we're seeing COVID kind of jump up again and, and people are, are quarantining to say, hey, I, I know you guys are sick. Do you want me to leave some food at your doorstep? I ain't walking in that place, but I don't mind dropping something off at your front door. Neighborly things. I think we've lost that even culturally, what it means to just be a, a kind neighbor, just to say, because we're so like isolated in ourselves and we don't even know our neighbors half the time. We don't want to know our neighbors. We're just annoyed with their super loud music at two in the morning. And, and listen, and I get it. Like I had a neighbor who was, uh, I guess, a conga player, but he only liked to practice at three in the morning. And it was, and he practiced. It was the same beat. It was... And I was sitting there like, bro, would you switch up the beat at least? Like, you got it. You did good with that beat, bro. Move on to lesson two. Like, it was driving me nuts. But hey, listen, when my snow plow broke down, my neighbor plowed all my driveway. And then I showed up to his house with a big old caldero of arroz. Said, hey, bro, I love you, man. Thank you for for plowing my, my yard. Well, what is that? It's just being neighbors. Not so that we can get something out of people, but so that we can give to people. Because that's what God's called us to do. And if we all started to do that, at least God's people, because I can't speak, remember we can't talk about other neighbors, but we can't talk about God's people. If we all took the time to do purposeful, loving acts of kindness, imagine the impact we would make Imagine how much more responsive people would be when we did invite them to church. It's very hard to invite your neighbor when you don't know your neighbor. It's very hard to tell your neighbor about Jesus when you don't even tell them about your day. This is what it means to build up that community and to be who God has called you to be. Because do you know, even just from a very literal neighbor in your neighborhood, in your home, you're not there because you chose it because the property value was nice and the house was nice and the neighborhood was nice and the school. You think you made that choice? God has strategically placed you in that area to do work. Not to build up your backyard and add more decorations and raise up your property value, but to raise the value of heaven by reaching your neighbors. And again, I'm not saying you gotta stand on their front porch preaching the gospel in the keyhole, but those little gestures of moments of relationship build the bridge so that when they're ready, they'll cross it over to you. And they'll come to you and say, so-and-so is in need. Would you pray for them? I have this situation. Would you help me? Pastor Jason, if you would help me out. It's hard sometimes to be a neighbor. I'm not going to lie. It's not always the easiest thing. But I was thinking about the Good Samaritan And again, 
just wasn't his people. Could have easily passed the responsibility off to the priest and to the Levite. Um, he could have easily just went about his day thinking, well, you guys don't even like me. You guys are constantly being hateful towards my people, so I'm going to brush it off. But he chose to be a neighbor. And I don't think that's accidental. I think this man learned that. And again, this is speculation. This isn't scripture. But I like to think that at some point in this person's life, someone was a neighbor to him. I like to think that at some point in this person's life, when he was in need, someone came and provided a need. Someone came and blessed him. Someone came and helped him. Someone taught him, you don't leave people stranded when they're hurting. Somebody taught this man that. Somebody taught him, when somebody's grieving, you love them and you hug them. When somebody's hurting and needs to talk, you sit down and you listen. Somebody taught him, and maybe he was taught that through a practical experience in that. Maybe someone was a neighbor to him. And he thought of that as he was walking down the road. And he said, how can I not help this man when someone has helped me in my life? And I like to think about that from time to time. First and foremost, who am I to deny serving or helping somebody when Christ himself did it all for me? Who am I to withhold when God gave everything? But even more than that, if I can go on a little more practical level, Think of all the Samaritans that God has laid on the road of your life. All the neighbors who hop the fences in your life to check in on you. The people who have taught you things. It might be a family member, a mother, a father. It might have been a, a youth leader, a pastor. It might have been a co-worker, a teacher. Someone who provided a need and came in when everybody else was ignoring you. Someone who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. Someone who loved you when you felt you weren't worthy of anybody else's love. Realize, think about this, we've all had a good Samaritan in our life. We've all had somebody who's made major impacts that have transformed us forever. Even just now as I looked at Leroy, we kind of laughed about this when I became the lead pastor because he's been cutting my hair for over 15 years. And when I first started going to the barbershop, me and another youth leader, he didn't know this, but we walked in, we said, hey, we're going to get this guy saved. <laughs> I'm like, and I remember telling him, I was like, we in his chair for 30 minutes once a week. What's he, he going to talk about? The sports? We're going to get him saved. And it took a few years, but he gave his life to the Lord. I guarantee you, if you asked him, and I'm not putting Leroy on the spot, he's my boy, so I can say this. I guarantee you, you went up to Leroy. That gift that God gave him is greater than any patio furniture he's ever gotten because it changed the trajectory of his life. Somebody was a good Samaritan. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. We always thank God. This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy speaking to the church at Thessalonica. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope you have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, I think about you often, and what do I think about when I think about you? Your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope. When I remember you, 
I remember the kind of neighbor you've been to me. You know, I mentioned Mr. Rogers, and um, you know, I like to read up on him. He was just a fascinating man, literally living out the kind of neighbor that he constantly told little kids how to be, so much so that it threw people off. There was one account where uh, he was driving to go meet with an executive, you know, the TV station that sent a driver to pick him up. And so he goes there. When he found out the driver was going to be sitting in the car during their dinner meeting, he invited the driver in to have dinner with them. And then as the driver was taking him home, just so happily that him and the driver are just talking, the driver's like, oh, you know, that's my house right there. And Mr. Roger goes, really? Do you mind if we stop by? Can I meet your family? He's like, you want to meet my family? He's like, I love that. And he took Mr. Rogers into his home, and he had a piano. Mr. Rogers was an Ivy League piano player before he went into ministry. He said, can I play your piano? Sure. And for a few hours, he played piano for his family and sang with them. And then a few weeks later, wrote him a letter saying, thank you so much for letting me meet your family. This is the kind of person he was. Well, with all the years that he did with public television, and there's even great stories about how he provided funding, and I'll get you some of those stories as we go into the series. Eventually, rightfully, Mr. Rogers won a Lifetime Achievement Award, one of the big television award ceremonies. And there's all these Hollywood stars that are at this event, and they're all recognizing Mr. Rogers. And he comes up, and he just reminds them to remember their neighbors. And so I, I want to show you just a quick clip of that if you We'll look up at the screens. I want you to see the impact being a neighbor is. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. You know, church, I think it would do us well to follow that same exercise. So do me a favor. Bow your head for just a moment. I'll watch the clock. And for 10 seconds, would you consider the people that God has placed in your life to be your neighbor? 
people that love you, that believe in you, that look out for you. 10 seconds, starting now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for those individuals, God. The impact that they've made in our lives, the impact that you made through them, God. We're so grateful. And Lord, I just pray that that gratitude would turn into action, that we would follow the example that's been set for us and look for opportunities to be a neighbor. Look for opportunities to love the hurting and the broken. Look for opportunities to bandage their wounds and help carry them along this road. Look for opportunities to do for them what so many have done for us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see those around us. That you would open our eyes to see the neighbors that you have given us. Lord, I just pray that you would give us not just the resources and the abilities, but the desire to be a neighbor. Lord, it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter if they don't vote for the same people we vote for, if they don't think the same things we think, if they don't come from the same culture that we come from, if they don't look the same way we look doesn't even matter if they don't know you yet, God. Lord, you have called us to love our neighbor, to love them as we love ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray, would you open our eyes to see that every person that comes across our lives is a neighbor to us and that we have an opportunity to make an impact, one that we may never even fully understand how loud it echoes. May we do it anyway. Because Lord, we thank you that you've done it to us. You, Lord, being fully God, came down and lived the life of a humble man in order to give it all so that we might have it all through you. Lord, I pray even now, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know you yet, Lord, who hasn't given their life to you. Father, I pray even now, would you draw them in, God? Would you open their eyes and their hearts to the need of a Savior? Lord, I just pray right now in this moment that they would surrender themselves to you. I don't need to know. I don't need to see their hand. Father, you know their heart. And if they're hearing my voice, you know what God is calling you to do. Would you give yourself over to the Lord and allow him to love you the way He's always wanted to love you. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we just pray as we get ready to dismiss, would you help us to do and be everything you've called us to. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come on, church, would you stand?